0: I think, and I hope a lot of people agree, the clinical student is an awesome worker. They are uh, motivated because they wanna learn. They are already semi-clinical. They've certainly taken anatomy. They might even have some clinical rotations under their belt. Um, if, they're, if they're going for an RN or even a, an ASN, they might be CNAs already. So they have all of this great experience and nobody's trying to operationalize them, at least nationally, to add value to the healthcare Uh, ecosystem while they're in school. So that's some of our creativity, if you will.
1: Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day
0: i am a long-term care financial specialist what that means is i help people plan for the inevitable Mm -hmm. nobody wants to think about getting old but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care
1: here's your host nursing home administrator turned podcaster shmuel septimus welcome to another live recording of the nursing home podcast the podcast that you've learned to come and trust to give you the real scoop of what's going on in nursing homes and senior care uh, throughout the country. Today's episode, as with more recent previous episodes, we're going to continue the conversation about staffing and recruitment. And joining me here is Eric Alvarez. I hope I pronouncing your name right. CEO and okay. founder of Grapefruit, Grapefruit Health. Eric, welcome to the podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me
1: pleasure having you on the show um before we jump into deeply if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about your background and how you came to i guess create grapefruit health then we'll jump into the meat after we have the fruit for our entree we'll jump into the meat of the of the conversation
0: <laughs> yeah um and you know happy i'll go into the, the why we named it grapefruit health too if that's interesting. Um, but yeah, Eric Alvarez uh, from Chicago, pleasure to meet everyone, uh, a Latinx military veteran founder. Um, after the military, I got my master's degree from Rush. It's a top five MHA program, and I sit on faculty there today. And, and I bring that up to say that I work with students all the time, both clinical and non-clinical, and really understanding their needs. And, and that'll become relevant here in a second. Uh, after that, I went over to University of Chicago Northwestern, leading large teams, uh, both clinical and non-clinical really learning healthcare uh, intimately was part of two epic go lives as well, and getting the idea of how technology is used within the healthcare space. And then I um, had my first foray into uh, entrepreneurship. I was the first hire and chief operating officer of a startup. Um, and we grew that over five years and we, we were acquired by Cerner in the year 2020. And so it was really this intersection of Uh, academia and working with students and hospital operations, and then being deeply involved in startups to learn how to create unique solutions and actually get them off the ground that led to the formation of Grapefruit Health. At at Grapefruit Health, we are addressing the massive staffing shortage um, in in healthcare today. And I'm happy to kind of go into the the business part of it now, if that's okay. Um, And so we're going to be short by 3.2 million healthcare workers by the year 2026. Um, I personally think that number is going to be a lot larger. We've become very Reactive as a healthcare ecosystem, um, that happens in a lot of industries. When you're short-staffed, you kind of can no longer be proactive. You sort of wait for things to to cross the the threshold in the ED or in or in the inpatient side of things. And so, um, what you see out there for current solutions are are things like travel nursing uh, recruiters um, and even uh, employment platforms or rec- or uh, things like gig economy platforms. And a little bit of the dirty secret, in our opinion, is that. A lot of those platforms, what they do is actually drive the transition of employment. So when you drive the transition of employment, uh, for all those that are in leadership here, we know that that greatly reduces uh, performance and output um, while driving up costs. And you can talk to a lot of CFOs today at healthcare organizations and senior living facilities. They'll tell you that their, their FTE counts are down and their labor costs are up. And so we are solving the problem in a very different, very novel, unique way created the world's first and only workforce that's composed only of and completely of clinical students. And these students, when we say clinicals, anyone pursuing clinical education from a medical assistant to a medical doctorate, we work primarily with nursing, social work, and pharmacy students. These, these folks, and we can talk more about how we do it, but they join our, our platform and then they're primarily doing uh, telephonic or remote work on behalf of healthcare organizations. Um, we charge just $5 per interaction uh, which is um, obviously extremely low cost. We we hope to win on on, on scale. Um, and then we also help our organizations. And this is, I think, what we wanted to talk about or focus on a little more today. As a value add, we want our organizations we work with to recruit our students and we help you do that. So a little bit about me, a little bit about the business um, on there.
1: Okay, amazing. Um, quite a full answer uh, to that question. You didn't answer why Grapefruit Health though.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, sorry about that. Um and so, um, you know, the grapefruit, um, first of all, when you're starting a company, you got to make sure the name's available. So that was convenient. Uh, but uh, beyond that, um, we it's really our analogy to healthcare, right? Healthcare is kind of a, is is, is really hard. Um, and so if you're going to eat an apple, it's easy. You pick one up. You really, you know, if it's ripe or not, you wipe it on your shoulder and, and you take a bite. And, and grapefruits are anything but that. You can't see inside. You have to kind of feel it. Hopeful. Hopefully it's ripe. And then you have to take it home and Cut it in half, and then you need a spoon or salt and sugar because it, you know, it's it's sour. And so when we think about that, the nice kind of the the nice little pinwheel of a grapefruit, it's exactly that. And healthcare um, is very challenging and and requires all of those steps as well um, to kind of tackle it. And then and then lastly, just like the little segments, the eight different segments of a grapefruit, uh, healthcare is very segmented as well. And we're certainly not tackling every segment uh, of it. We are tackling specifically the ones we mentioned. So that's that's how we came up with the name.
1: Uh-huh. I'm curious if if great you started with grapefruit and then you worked backwards, or you started with the analogy. <laughs> yeah. you, with you don't have oh, the
0: I'll be honest here, a little bit of backwards um, on it. You know, um, we were we were thinking of great names and the the sort of the color and and it being synonymous uh, oftentimes with active seniors and folks. And so we worked a little bit backwards on it and um, kind of further justified it. But we had, a, we had a, quite a list of names we were playing with before we selected it. So um, backwards, but in short short order.
1: Got it. Okay, so let, let's go back to the actual problems. So the staffing shortage exists. Um, I don't fully understand that, and I have never got, gotten a great answer to this. So where are all these people who left during COVID? Where are they employed? And the answer is not Amazon and all those other places because a lot of these nursing assistants and nurses they're not interested in that. Um, so I know there are partial answers. I, I'm actually curious to hear what your take is on that first uh, to the why, and then we can figure out talk more solutions.
0: Yeah. So wh- so where did they go? That's a great question. So what what they did was if you assume and you subscribe to the fact. That the count of FTEs of clinical FTEs across the country is fixed, right? We we create some, some retire, but we make some every year and they graduate. But in general, the number of clinicians is fixed. Then what happened was they left their uh, higher stress jobs and they've done a few different things. They've either taken a break altogether. Uh, many of the of clinicians are are female and wanted to, um, you know, that the kind of stay at home mom or stay at home dad was an exciting feature, especially during COVID especially during while people reevaluated what they wanted to do i don't think that's the truth for most of them i think that was like a pause right just like a lot of people took time to reevaluate what they're doing um and they were really in unwinnable situations i mean if you think about ed clinicians specifically i mean think about what they were basically a war zone um uh, that they were in it was completely unsustainable so they weren't job hunting they left like like, like, I cannot handle even another day or a week of this work. I am leaving. I need to take a mental health break. And I think a lot of them are coming back. But with the, what I was mentioning early on, there are lots and lots of opportunities for these folks to make great money part-time. And so when you go down to part-time, an FTE, for those that aren't aware, is a full-time equivalent. And so you can be a full-person human being, but if you only work half-time, then you are a 0.5 FTE So even though the number of human beings within healthcare, I think is the exact same. I think that the actual output or the amount of hours and things that they're doing is, has been reduced. I also think that they've now gone to innovative uh, uh, gig, gig economy type platforms or remote work is very attractive to everybody. Right? So they're leaving the bedside, which is the top of their license, what their, their credentials allow them to do. And they've gone into really much better work like balance roles. So again, the need across the healthcare ecosystem was 3.2 million is the gap. We lost folks, but we didn't lose human beings. We lost the, the points, the, you know, the fractions of points per FTS, which adds up a lot. And hence the shortage. Also, I would say that we are always short. So the year 2030 was always slated to be the, the year, by the way, this has been true for 20 years, that our aging workforce, clinical aging workforce was always going to max out its shortage by the year 2030, baby boomers, physicians, primarily they were going to leave the profession and retire. And we were going to have this gap as our societal age breakdown um, hits. It's like least ideal or least optimized ratios of, of of people retiring to people entering the profession. And when people retire is when they need the most healthcare, right? They're aging as well. And so they're leaving and then they're becoming patients themselves. Um, So that's my, that's my two cents. I mean, to your point, no one's, no one's leaving being a registered nurse to be a Python programmer. Right. They they're doing right. They're doing other things within healthcare, typically at less than full time. And I shouldn't say typically, I should say just a a lot of them are doing it at less than full
1: time. Right. I mean, but the truth is, is, you know, even the ones that are doing it less than full time, some of them are doing less than full time in multiple places where the sum total is not always less than they were before. But I guess there's enough of them that aren't to make a problem. And you're right.
0: And there's, I, I just read a case study the other day. Uh, a mercy in the southeast, they created a really cool solution where they're allowing folks who already are full time to pick up additional work. Right, typically younger clinicians who are looking to to make additional money, and they're working though at a higher dollar amount. So those extra shifts are getting paid at some sort of premium, and so now your cost per FTE has gone up, um, but you are having some folks. So that specific healthcare system. Um, is doing better than most uh, as far as like their staffing, but they're paying more for it. Um, and so it's not a it's not a comprehensive solution, and maybe not be applicable to senior homes or FQHCs or other uh, direct care delivery mechanisms that have just tighter margins that they can't they simply can't uh, afford that that premium.
1: Right. I mean, you also have to balance that with what are people doing right now anyway to fill the shortage. Either they're working short, and that's obviously a very serious problem, um, or or most of them they're bringing in agency staff, and they're paying a premium anyway. They would much rather pay overtime or some other fee to their own staff, where at least it stays yeah. within their company, as opposed to paying a crazy rate for an outside company.
0: And, and you're right, and and I hate to be like the, but it's it's almost like you know the rich are going to survive, like the the very the, the the health systems, and I've worked for some who have incredible margins; they do really well on the bottom line they can cannibalize and they can take advantage of some of these premium programs to keep their ratios. But where are those individuals coming from? They're coming from FQHCs and other senior living places, other places that can't pay the very, very top wage of a registered nurse. As just one example, you could say MA, pharmacist, whatever it is, they can pay the top dollar and we are a capitalistic society. There's nothing wrong with the individual taking advantage of a higher dollar amount. I just think, um, capitalism is is I think everyone agrees a lot of people agree with it when it's advantageous and someone's not getting hurt but in these rural communities or these uh, underserved populations they're they're hurting far greater and my from what in my understanding from the staffing shortage then of the the northwesterns of the worlds the NYUs of the worlds you know the very more affluent population uh, folks and so you're gonna see that right and so then right. How do we solve for that now you know that's a big problem right. And are people going to go back you know once they've had that increase and so I don't know
1: right I mean rural areas suffer in general is because no matter what you're paying no matter what program you have if people don't exist the mayor is already the administrator and you know <laughs> the traffic you know uh, chief is the director of nurses and you know everybody else in the community is either a resident or a caregiver and I yeah. still show that. So then, then you're stuck. The only people left to bring in are the criminals and you don't want to keep bringing them in. Right. But uh, well, moving on to, to Grief Food Health specifically. So you're taking student clinicians. Um, can you break that down for me? Let's, let's yeah. talk specifically, let's talk LPNs because LPNs, RNs, those are very, they're hard to fill shifts. Um, most facilities can get a few of their own and then they're supplementing with agency staff. What does this mean that you're bringing in the students and where are they coming from?
0: Yeah, and so so just in just to like why clinical students, I think, is really important before I even answer that. And, and the reason why is if you wanted to solve solve what we're doing, because the work we're doing does not require a clinical licensure, right? In general, this could be any any individual that we train to perform this work. However, the gig economy is so competitive today. So you could drive Uber, and I think the last statistic in some in some geographical regions, you can make sixty thousand dollars a year working a full time gig with Uber. Um, around your schedule sort of thing. And obviously you're working at like the the hot times in order to make that compensation. And at that dollar amount, it's really hard to compete in healthcare, especially at the wages of an LPN or an MA, CNA, things that say, you know, that level of licensure. And so the reason why we don't go after the gig economy and we specifically use clinical students is one, they want to get clinical experience but they can't work nine to fives typically. I mean, I understand some LPN programs and CNAs, those people already are working full-time, but, but in, in a lot of these professions that they're not, they can't, or uh, educational programs, they can't work full-time. And so we allow them to do this work completely around their schedule. So they, they earn and learn um, around to do that. Also, I think, and I hope a lot of people agree, the clinical student is an awesome worker. They are uh, motivated because they want to learn they are already semi-clinical. They've certainly taken anatomy. They might even have some clinical rotations under their belt. Um, if they're if they're going for an RN or even a, an ASN, they might be CNAs already. So they have all of this great experience and nobody's trying to operationalize them, at least nationally, to add value to the healthcare uh, ecosystem while they're in school. So that's some of our creativity, if you will. We're not taking from the gig economy. I don't there's two open jobs for every unemployed person in the country today. That might change. We saw a lot of layoffs coming, but but today that's the reality. That is the statistic. And so we're not trying to compete for top dollar against Uber, Instacart, fill in the blank. We are going after the clinical student because we think there are some massive advantages, not to mention we want to help you recruit them at the end. So that's why we use the, the clinical student. Sorry. I wanted to get that out there before um, uh, answering yeah, your I question.
1: So, so I mean, we've, we've discussed with others even on this uh, podcast where, where um, you know, the concept of really connecting with local CNA training programs and nurse training programs and to get them to do rotations in your facility. And, and many companies do this on like a one-off basis and it's a matter yeah. of the administrator or the director of nurses, you know, driving down and making a relationship um, with that person and, and convincing them, first of all, they have to have a certain level of uh, their star rating and their uh, health inspection can't, uh, can't make it that they, you know, if they have a bad uh, survey, then many times they can't run such a program. But um, what you're saying is, it seems like you're saying something else. In other words, I us make it very practical. As, let's say, let's take someone who's an administrator or an operator who's listening to this conversation right now. And they're saying, okay, this sounds very nice, high level. Right now I have this shortage. What is my next step?
0: Yeah, great question. So unlike what you just, the example you provided about the in-person sort of uh, student coming into the facility and performing work at, on behalf of the organization in person with a preceptor, which again, when you do that, and that we've all mentored students, I'm sure there's this J curve, right? You actually become less Uh, product while you're training someone. And then at the end of that training session, obviously, you know, one plus one equals two maybe. But in the beginning, it's one plus one equals like 1.2, 1.3, because you're spending a lot of time training that person and onboarding them. What we do is different. We want to take your low acuity, high volume, repetitive telephonic tasks. So think about um, medication adherence. Think about uh, folks that might not be spending every day with you in the home, but we are doing senior isolation and loneliness calls where we are uh, socializing with them, capturing data with them, and doing that outreach. We're doing post-discharge follow-up calls. So whether you've been admitted to the ED uh, inpatient or maybe you've been discharged even from a, a, a sniff, for example, we are doing that kind of follow-up high-volume calls for you that does not require licensure. It's still clinical in nature. Um, to do that. We have clinical oversight within our organization. So that's what we're doing. So it's very different than bringing a, a student uh, into physically into your organization where you're training them to do physical work. We are looking to replace your high volume, human to human engagement activities, if you will.
1: Interesting. Okay. So I completely did not understand at all what your company does. And now now it's kind of starting to come together. So basically, and and it's all done remotely.
0: Yes, all done remotely. We built our own technology product. The student logs in around their schedule, clicks, generate an interaction. We match them based on language, culture, proximity to that patient, also based on what they've been trained on, what the patient needs. It's very curated. Uh, uh, there's a lot of quality components to this. Um, and then they perform that work. It's a very scripted um, experience. We document all the information. The clients work with us to build the, the sort of the script and the data that they want to collect um, and what they're doing um, during that time. So, as an example, one of our first clients, large safety net, the largest safety net hospital organization here in Chicago, we're doing all their diabetes prevention program enrollment uh, for them.
1: Uh huh. Interesting. So, anything that's repeatable that doesn't need to be done in person that is <clears throat> somewhat clinical in nature. Um, so, basically, the healthcare provider has to. Uh, create this program, I guess, in order for in order for it to be implemented uh, through Grapefruit Health, and then once they set everything up um, uh, appropriately, so is it? Uh, do they have to pay for to set up such an account? Do, do they get charged a fee per interaction? How does that work?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So typically, they're not creating a net new p- program; it's a program that's that's failing today, and they're looking to, to uh, supplement it or even outsource it to us. So for example, in the, in the example I gave, this organization has been trying to hire MAs and community healthcare workers to do this work, and they cannot find them. They heard about our solution. It's, the, it's far less than they're paying today, um, and we have the scale to do it, and they've also had recruitment issues. So they say, look, here's the patients with high A1C scores who we uh, would love to connect with and get them enrolled into this diabetes prevention program please interact with them. And then we, we obviously build the, the scripts and, and the messaging um, with the client to, to do that. We then don't charge if the patient doesn't answer voicemail, bad number, drop call, any what we call not successful interactions. We do not call, charge for those. For any patient we actually connect with and have a conversation with, we charge just $5 per interaction. We do a rev share with the student. Uh, the students work for us as contractors. Um, they are totally. We we own the entire HR process from from training to backyard uh, background checks to HIPAA training components. There, um, we can take things like flat files from the client if it's like a, just a list of patients to contact. Um, if it's something more like a post discharge follow up, we can do EMR integrations or other uh, software integrations that come directly into our um, product.
1: Okay, so I'm thinking nursing homes specifically. Do you have nursing home clients right now?
0: We, we don't, but the majority of our uh, patients we call on are uh, over uh, our senior patients.
1: And so, so which, so the clients are mostly hospitals, uh, providers?
0: Today they are, um, you know, we have an exciting pipeline, but today um, they, the, there's three healthcare systems essentially that our clients were doing diabetes prevention program enrollment, uh, health risk assessments for the largest county-based healthcare system, and medication adherence for a, a, a health system in Eastern Tennessee.
1: So basically, uh, medication adherence, you basically reminded them to take their medications that they don't end up back in the hospital.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we get a list of data. They specifically get it from the payer. The payer says, here's your non compliant patients. We call them to understand why they are not taking the drugs. Uh, we're documenting that. And to the extent about 10% of those calls, need a pharmacist interaction. So we're able to then uh, do a warm transfer to a pharmacist. But the idea is that they're, they're very short staffed with their pharmacy staff. So instead of their farm techs and pharmacists making these calls, uh, we can do it for them at better scale for a lower dollar amount. Um, and then they all get to operate at the top of their license. So when we do that warm transfer, it's because it's a, it's a, real, it's a real clinical issue that a, only a pharmacist can handle.
1: Mm-hmm. Where are these, these students are all uh, US based?
0: Yes, it's a requirement of ours. You have to be active student. You have to be U.S. Um, based. You have to have a GPA of 3.0 or higher. Um, and then to the extent we're doing something more clinical, we, re- we require that you've done at least one clinical rotation uh, as well.
1: Okay. Now, you mentioned before that one of the things in the system is proximity. Uh, why does proximity matter if it's a remote position?
0: We we just love the idea of students from the same neighborhood as the patient calling and having that interaction, right? It's the most, it's the fastest way to build trust. Um, it's immediately discussed. If you listen to our recordings, the students and the patient typically talk about the neighborhood, even um, and culturally they're being met they're being matched too. So there's a lot of data out there. I mean, I think I, I think that's intuitive, but there's also a lot of supporting data that says when you match on a lot of those things, the dialogue is just is much better. Uh, the trust happens much, much sooner. And then the, the other massive reason why proximity is important is because the, oppor- the the chances of you recruiting our students are, is higher, right? So we okay. don't want to use Chicago students. Yeah, you get it. Yeah.
1: No, so that's what I'm trying to figure out. So I'm trying to, to uh, translate this into nursing home thinking. Um, so if I'm going to, I, typically there's a case manager, sometimes it's the MDS coordinator uh, someone who's involved in clinical reimbursement documentation who's sometimes has the task of making uh, post-discharge uh, phone calls. It's a complete mismatch between talent, skill, um, the amount that they're getting paid with the task that they're doing, but it impacts their process you know, immensely because they want to make sure that the discharges remain discharged safely, that they don't end up back in the hospital and that there are no penalties and people stay safe and healthy, um, so they do it, and also typically there's nobody in the building who is uh, skilled enough and has the time to do it. And every other department is also short staffed. So like, yeah. what I'm looking for is where's the relief, um, you know, for the building? Because, the, you know, I run a recruitment company. We're, we're uh, recruiting nurses, we're recruiting CNAs, we're recruiting for all these positions. So obviously, get them a full time employee that's going to sit and work for them forty hours a week. That's, you know, the biggest direct relief that you could do. But thinking beyond the current urgent situation, and thinking about, uh, you know, a real solution for down the road by engaging, there are companies that I know of that the reason why I asked where they're based, that, you know, they're based not in the US and they do a lot of these tasks for an hourly rate and Mm -hmm. they'll go and make a million calls. Now, they're missing... A lot of the things that you said they're missing the the trust is not there the connection is not there sometimes it's not as relevant for some of the depending on the task it's not as important for some for some of the other tasks and sometimes it is and it doesn't work out as well so let's say for cna specifically or for nurses specifically so we work through grapefruit we have let's say an lpn that's still that's in school or training or not interested or ready to take a job um, and they're working for, they live in Chicago, they're calling or doing whatever remote test they're doing for a Chicago based healthcare facility. Um, where does the opportunity for recruitment come? At what point? Is this just like a natural thing that if they like each other, they'll reach out to the facility, or is there a process for it?
0: There's a process. So we have the eyes and the ears of the students. Um, we allow our clients to uh, uh, their HR groups to host webinars for our students that are actually pretty well attended. Um, it could be things like, what is it like work to work at this client site? Um, it could be um, something just more generic, but it's like, you know, strengthens the brand of the of the institution there um, to do that. And then as postings are available, we have our student email list, uh, which is uh, large now. So we make those, those postings available to the students in that way. But you know we're learning too, so we want to find other ways to make this a little more uh, direct and in, in filling those gaps. And again, we don't charge for any of that. Um, it, we we charge for the interactions, but that recruitment part of it is just um, a value add, uh, something that we hope people take advantage of.
1: Right. So I'm going to you know, give you my two cents. Coming from the nursing home world, I think that the again the hospital system uh, might be different, but from the nursing home world, they're focused right now on being able to provide the care that they need to provide, you know, and getting the, you know, the providers to do that. Um, And they're also looking at the long-term fix of not just today of, you know, being able to do that tomorrow as well. So the relief of the, like the post discharge phone calls or a loneliness call and all those other things are, and maybe some of it they're just not going to do and it, it is what it is. And they're not absolutely essential uh, tasks, some of them, and they just won't do it. And that this is nice, but it's not. It's not exciting. Um, you know, maybe the case manager or the MDS coordinator might be happy with that piece if someone's making those phone calls. Um, but I think the biggest piece is if they, they'll be more than happy to pay for you know interactions and all that. If it's someone local that's interacting with their facility with a direct line of communication to. Um, for recruitment so in other words you're going to work in our facility you're a cna and you're training and then through the platform you're connected with us so instead of we had Dreambound on the podcast oh. and i'm going to drop their name i don't know if you're familiar with them or not no. you're not, I'm not okay
0: I'm
1: not, no okay fine so we had another episode with them and they have a platform that connects uh cna training schools specifically for nurses aides to nursing homes and so this way, instead of you going one on one with your donuts from place to place and trying to create relationships, they want relationships with nursing homes. Nursing homes want relationships with the training programs. They're connecting them so that it's a win-win. The the training program has a place to do their clinical rounds, and then at the end of that, it's very likely that they'll that they'll get hired. And that's like directly addressing that staffing shortage head-on. And for yeah. the facilities to have the capacity and are you know certified to be able to do that, then. You know that could be a win-win both ways. Uh, this is doing it in a less aggressive way. words, the immediate payoff, I think, is not as substantial, not as exciting um, yeah. for the for the for specifically for nursing home operator because the pain point is who's going to answer the call bell in room two hundred one eight right now? The person right. wasn't you know toileted in three hours and it's horrible. Um, you know, someone has to deal with that. So. This is not an immediate fix to that, but this is be developing the relationships with directly with the talent pool who tomorrow is going to be looking for jobs, or maybe even today are already looking for jobs, um, and getting to them another way. So just to be straight out, the recruitment piece is what they're going to figure out: what do I need to do to be able to make you send my job to a targeted list of people who are interested? And not only that, they through the program, you know, the way you're describing it, it sounds like. The relationship is there. They're not just scrolling through Indeed and looking through job posts. They're right. actually, I know that facility. You know, ABC Nursing Home down the block. First of all, I drive by every day. I make phone calls for them. And I know that, you know, Sally and Joe were discharged last week. And I, I know about the meds. And they called into, you know, whoever it is. They called, you know, someone in the pharmacy. And that person just took care of the meds. And now they didn't have to come back into the hospital but they went back to whatever, you know, so then there's already,
0: they're already kind of involved without being involved. Um, no, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And honestly, this has been educational for me as well um, on there. And so, yeah, I think you, I think you hit it right on the head. I think you're right. I think the direct value is, is delayed. I think it's, yeah, it's really about creating these internship opportunities. They understand the brand They They understand the patient population. Um, and so for them, it's a natural, progression to to take a position with them post post um, that work and as they near graduation. so
1: Right, it's also a very low risk point way of entry. In other words, I don't have to get into my car drive down to another interview when I already confirmed seven other interviews of which I never planned on showing up to maybe any of them, uh, which is which is yeah. how it works. I can tell you firsthand experience happens every single day in all positions, yeah. by the way. It happens to administrators and directors of nursing and regional positions uh, that people just don't show up. But I'm here, it's very different. I'm not, my commitment is very little. I'm gonna, when, when that ping comes in or however exactly the system works, but when I get that call and it's a local facility and I'm interested and I pick it up um, and I start doing this, so whether it's on my phone, I assume, or some video call or a phone call or whatever it is, um, I'm beginning to develop a relationship um, with, with the local senior population as well as with the, as the providers there. And I see, I, I see that that is, even if you, there wouldn't be a direct rec, um, recruitment built into the process, but if they're then looking for a job and they see this facility, oh, I know that place. Just yeah. like my grandmother used to be there and my, you know, my friend works there. So now it's like, oh yeah, I did. I Ubered there, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> to yeah. The,
1: to the system, you know, I, I, I drop off the eggs there on Tuesdays. So now it's, I make their discharge phone calls. So, it kind of creates that connection without the risk or uh, investment that they would have to make of, okay, this is a serious job interview. What am I going to do? Is my going to do? You know what? Forget it. I'm not showing up. But here's like, no, I did a little thing on my phone or whatever, however it's done. Um, I think that that's a a much lower risk and a, you know, easier, uh, takes away some of the barriers of entry. Um, If I can ask, The bulk of the calls. I'm trying to figure this out because you mentioned the isolation and loneliness. You mentioned the post discharge follow ups. Are those the two areas where most of the interactions are, or other other benefits that healthcare providers are getting from the system other than those two? Not that it's a problem either way.
0: Yeah, it's no, it's so it's the bulk is really program enrollment around, specific around diabetes, um, health risk assessments, um, and medication adherence. Uh, To be totally transparent, we haven't done um, we've scoped it out. We, we, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's just a matter of turning it on. Um, but we have not done post-discharge follow-up as like an example. Um, Go so ahead. our menu, it's sort of like, if you think about the work, it's, the menu can be quite long, right? Like What are the opportunities? Like we have, uh, you know, some clients that are interested in like high risk patient check-ins, right. Which we haven't done, but it's really, they script the dialogue. We have it. We capture data utilizing a human to human interaction with some text messaging
1: got it Uh, what about more in-depth work that is not interaction based such as chart audits and things that could be done completely remotely once you have access to their EHR but it's not it's not the human to human connection it's not just maybe the human to -to connection um, which I know people are outsourcing right now I'm curious if that's something that fits the model or not.
0: It, it, it it's a little outside the model in that I'm not saying it wouldn't be educational, but we are really focused on the impact side of this, of this business too. And we want the students to become better clinicians through the work with us. And so I think like a, a chart audit, you know, a few of those would be educational. I think after several hundred, that becomes maybe less educational. So the idea is like today in a lot of clinical programs, they get almost zero telehealth or telephonic training outside of simulation. And so what we want to do is actually pre- prepare them for that, because that is where the future of a lot of these roles are is going, or it's a big component. When I manage, for example, a lot of nurses in the health system, they spend a lot of time on the phones. And the first time they did that was their first day of the job. <laughs> so they're not getting trained uh, on how to do that. And so um, as long as the work is educational for the student, that is one of our criteria before we take before we would take on a project.
1: Okay. I mean, I can make the argument that chart audits is extremely educational for yeah. For them to see how all the different pieces of the medical record tie together and how you read a story. Uh, just as a finance person will tell you that, you know, uh, financials of any business is going to show you the story of what's going on. The same thing is true clinically, but maybe up to a point. Yeah, um, I think
0: that's we've had clients a- approach us for like prior authorizations. And I think prior authorizations are actually educational as well. It's just not, you know, it's less direct to the patient, it's more about, understanding how the payer system works and why certain parts of document, you know, things are required for the revenue cycle. Um, And I agree. I think it is, it is educational. It's, it's, it's just a fine line. Um, And so we just have to be careful that programs we take on are educational and that the students, we do think that we're preparing better clinicians um, uh, than, you know, something different than that.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fascinating. Very, very interesting. Very, very fascinating. Um there's not all what I thought uh that the company does. Um it's definitely the first thing is uh just you know, zooming out of this conversation for a minute. I know that we're a little bit over time, but we'll wrap up in a moment, but um it's a unique approach um to dealing with some with, with the, you know, with some of the staffing shortages. We're not head on saying bring people in from other countries, which is a solution that does work for a lot of people, uh, or convince people why they should work in house versus the gig economy. Not fighting the trend, it's kind of providing value to the trainees who, you know, whatever stage that they're up to, that this is something that they need um, or should should know that they need. You know, it definitely supplements their current education, whatever it is, um, and at the same time offers that opportunity of beginning. Um, that relationship with the facility. I think a big challenge, and I'm telling this from first-hand experience, because you know our company, uh, Quality Recruit. This is what we we do, and we reach out to the, this exact same people. But a lot of times, the problem is there's a cold connection. There's almost like a, a wall that's up. Like you're just another guy just trying to give us you know another job, and every nursing home is the same, and uh, and they have no idea who our clients are. Some of our clients they they're they're not the same. They're fantastic. Know, clinicians and healthcare providers, it'd be a little bit better if some of these people would accept the jobs and work. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. Um, yeah. But at the same time, so this kind of softens that barrier um, in general so that they can, they can come in. So even if someone doesn't need any help, I'm just thinking this through right now, um, it might even be worth to create creatively come up with specific, you know, training opportunities so that, and the price point obviously is negligible. So even if it, if it means, I don't, I don't know if these people do hundreds or dozens or whatever the number is um, uh, a month, but just being this value of being able to interact professionally with the local talent pool that you're desperate to hire, um, it's, it's, you know that really uh, makes a lot of sense. I guess my question is, where is it available? Is it yeah, available for patients, how does that work?
0: Yeah. And so we're, you know, we have, um, we are national. So we have uh, the clients are sort of the, the clients that we're working with today is is somewhat spread out. And so the way that we work is essentially is once we're entered contracting with a client, we have a mechanism for developing this workforce very, very rapidly. So in uh, less than, you know, six weeks from recruitment of the students to fully trained, ready to go is how long it takes us, which is about, depending on the size of the organization, contracting can actually take a lot longer. Um, uh, and so you can imagine, you know, doing a sale with a large healthcare system, there's security reviews and MSAs and SOWs, BAAs. And so we, once we're far enough along, we can sort of time it. Now we've gotten good at timing it that the go live, the students in the workforce is trained to perform that task. And so, for example, one of our first clients from handshake to go live introduction to go live was four months. Um, and we do on that recruitment piece too, which was interesting just as a, a, an aside, We do have two clients that have come to us purely on the recruitment side. And now they're because of the cost you mentioned is so low, is that they're now looking to spend those dollars on interactions and they're searching for folks, clinical teams in their organization who would benefit from those interactions. And so it's, they are that desperate, not in the term desperate, I don't mean in a negative way, but like they are, they're so, they're so interested, I should say in novel ways to build the workforce because what they've tried to do today just hasn't been effective um and right. so-, In other
1: words, right. so this is kind of a, what we were saying before is that if right. i'm going to give a thousand dollars to indeed or a thousand dollars to someone else or ten thousand dollars wouldn't it make sense to allocate some of those funds to get first of all you're getting some actual work directly back and, right. and to find to creatively find opportunities for them to interact with the facility um and so, but as a, not like cna training where they're physically coming into the building where obviously then that's a much a uh, greater exposure but it's also much more difficult um, you know to do that and for that we have solutions like Dreambound and others um, you know for, for that to work but specifically here where let's find a way to you know for some sort of task that can be outsourced in this type of you know price per interaction um, model so that we're starting to connect with with local people if it wouldn't be that that's why I mentioned before the proximity piece because if that wasn't there, then I can tell you from a nursing home standpoint, it's like okay, it's it's a kind of cheap way of getting you know uh, some of the stuff, uh, some of these tasks, and It may not always be such a low price point if you have lots and lots of calls to make. You know, the money may add up uh, if you. But if you're looking at it from a recruitment standpoint, where there's a massive budget to begin with because of how urgent the problem is. Yeah. You know, so, so so then that that's a whole different way. We're not looking at uh grapefruit versus hiring uh someone in the philippines or el salvador or whatever we're looking at grapefruit versus indeed grape versus glassdoor, um, or versus a job fair and that you know obviously the the budgets are very very different and you also get that added benefit um yeah this is, this has been absolutely amazing very very interesting we definitely need to wrap up anything final that you would want to share with our listeners Um, and viewers uh before we wrap this up about grapefruit um before we let you go uh
0: nothing specifically just really thank you so much for your time and attention you know you could find me just eric at grapefruit.health is my email uh or linkedin uh would love to connect really with with anybody but yeah no thanks for this it's been uh it's been fun for me and educational at the same time so thanks
1: amazing thank you so much for coming on the show Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know. What an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.